Well, it's another day, another way, James Tiley and Johnny Fry. Digital Bytes, the team blockchain newsletter that goes out every week over at digitalbytes.substack.com. Look, I'm beating Johnny to it. I'm getting it early. Digitalbytes.substack.com. I'm a big fan myself, even before I knew. We, uh, we got the October 19th edition out, and we're going to have to talk about that. So I got Johnny on the line, as usual, right? Johnny, Hi, what did James. we cover? Yeah, good to be back on the airwaves with you, and thank you for downloading this uh, this edition of Digital Bytes. Um, well, this week we're looking at um, well how blockchain's been used in the supply chain uh, management for the food industry. Um, we've been looking at the challenges with digital assets being hacked, and this is going to become a bigger issue as more and more people have digital equities and bonds and mutual funds and and you know and currencies. It's not just about crypto because. Digital assets is really sort of coming out more into the mainstream. Um, looking into central bank digital currencies, some people love them, some people loathe them, but we've got some more information on that we'd like to share. And then coming up after the break, um, we've got um, a, a chap, Olaf Ransom, from the Realisation Group, looking at how traditional um, finance and decentralised finance are beginning to sort of merge and we, we've had this sort of conversation before if you remember with our friend helen disney from the realization group talking about the era of convergence um and how that's actually coming together so that's coming up after the break but uh yeah that that's what we're covering this week on digital bytes cbdc's are always so much fun especially with the fact that we could talk about food i mean if you're gonna ask <laughs> yeah cbdc's or broccoli well how about hamburgers? Can we can we use hamburgers well, in whatever examples you're going to come up with? Uh, I don't think I do touch for hamburgers, but but ba- basically this was kicked off. Um, we we had a couple of people asking us um, for for real examples in industry um, of right. the way the technology is being used, and there's been a lot of talk about how um, the blockchain technology is being used in sort of financial services and in the service sector and. Um, things like that. And so what we wanted to look at was how is it being used in the supply chain for sort of food industry? Um, because obviously that's pretty important because not many of us grow our own veg, let alone grow our own hamburgers. Um, and so one of the big challenges when you're sort of um, manufacturing food um, or whether you're just getting the food literally from the from the farm to the fork is that supply chains are are not straightforward. They are fairly complicated. And there's a growing trend and demand amongst consumers to want to know where has their food come from? Is it sustainable? What is the provenance? Um, again, apologies for our regular listeners, but um, we've said this before. IBM have come out statistics saying people are prepared to pay up to 39% more for their food if they know where it's come from. Um, and with all the, you know, more and more evidence of climate change going on, people want to make sure that what they're consuming is indeed sustainable. So what we've actually seen is a number of different examples of how blockchain is now being used in the supply industry to, to meet some of those um, sort of problems and, and, and aspects. And what we're actually seeing is that um, blockchain is being used for transparency and traceability. So it's actually being able for people can look and see what's happening. And a good example of that is with Walmart and Nestle, where they're using um, their supply chains and being able to let people interrogate them and see where that food has come from, what country, what farmer or something of, of that slight. The, the next area is, is in this whole aspect of quality and safety of food. And they reckon 
somewhere around 15 percent of the food on our shelves in our shops um is is is, is actually spurious you know we we don't actually need some of that food there and what's happening is that we're finding that there's um goods that have actually expired or there's materials that are being used that they shouldn't be because we have lack of transparency so some some goods are being passed off as being um organic but they're actually not and all this is actually adding up because what happens is the annual wastage um is an incredible around the world 1.3 billion tons of food is being wasted and i've seen some figures saying that as much as um 20 of all the food created grown you know fished farmed whatever it is is actually being thrown away and if you've got more efficient supply chains and you've got more accurate data and you've got more trust in those supply chains and that information then hopefully we can actually do something about reducing that sort of um that that, that sort of wastage but the whole thing about trust is really really important and and a good example of this is that in china um overseas manufactured built baby milk are, are still the preferred choice compared to domestic um, producers. And the reason for that is that according to an article we saw in the South China Morning Post back in 2008, so a little while ago, to be fair, over 300,000 children were poisoned after drinking infant milk that contained melanine. Well, that's a chemical used in the plastic industry. And even 14 years later, People in China are understandably nervous and concerned. They don't want to give their you know, newborn child some sort of dodgy milk and they end up finding that they run into all sorts of medical and, and health issues. So blockchain is being used, as we said, in conjunction with things like IoT um, to automatically record information. So you can see, OK, this fruit, um, where is it being picked? What temperature being kept at? Have the boxes been dropped? Because you can put sensors in there that can monitor and track all that information. And using cloud technology, all that information can be held in a paperless environment, which people can then actually go in and interrogate and look what's actually happening and what's going on with the product. So as we begin to see more and more companies embracing this technology, and recently probably the best-known brand has been Starbucks, um, and they've actually been using blockchain technology not only to be able to track and trace where the coffee like is coming from, but also in their loyalty schemes. So they're using it as a form of engagement with their customers to get them to buy more and more. So a number of different ways that blockchain technology has been used in, in the food manufacturing sector. There's lots and lots of examples of so, but this is just a, a snapshot to show some of the different things that are currently going on out there, James. You know, I could summarize real quickly with the people that are not as familiar with blockchain technology. But here's a real life quick story. You know, massive major peanut butter company that we all know and love. I particularly like the crunchy version. Um, it was this year. It was probably four or five months ago where all of the peanut butter that came out of this one particular warehouse in Kentucky had to be recalled. Walmart was an active player in this. And I have no idea if, if it was Walmart's blockchain technology or uh, if any was used at all. But I could tell you from personal experience, we were told to grab our jars of peanut butter look at the barcode, write down a particular section of the barcode, then go on a website and validate the barcode that you had on the website to know whether or not you had to hand in your peanut butter. Yep. And I said to myself, this, this is... Yeah, and, and I'm a blockchain guy, right? So I like to think that I'm pretty smart 
normally, technology-wise. I might be an idiot with food, but I am definitely good with tech. And uh, I, this is so challenging. I, I had like nine jars of this stuff, and we didn't know which number to even look at. So I suppose blockchain technology in this dumbed-down version, it would have been great if I had some sort of an app where I just scanned it. I scan the barcode, and it comes back, yes. Yep. Or even just a QR code on the bottom. The QR code could have gone straight to their website, and their website could have actually tracked it if each batch number was done. Or, as you say, using blockchain technology, it would be very easy for the actual whoever sold you that peanut butter to actually advise you and say, we have reason to believe you recently bought this peanut butter. You could have tracked it from their cash register to your house. They could have proactively notified you. Yep. I don't know how many people out there didn't even hear about it and they just ate the peanut butter. I can only imagine. I think well, I think in the food of... industry, this is a major deal. I think it's major in the food industry. Well, it, it, it is because it not only did it stop people from getting sick and ill, but it also means they don't have to throw away everything. So you mentioned Walmart, for example. Walmart have been doing this for a number of years with their um, lettuce and cabbages. And they've also been doing it um, with uh, nearly all of their sort of shrimps and sort of um, shellfish. And, you know, these shellfish has to be kept in a particular temperature, otherwise it's very easy to go off. But you can't suddenly say well, all the shipments that are coming from a country have all got to be thrown out because we found a problem with all of them, when it might only relate to a particular batch from a particular village in, I don't know, Vietnam or Thailand or something like that. So blockchain technology being used on a sort of a, it's a nice to have because people can investigate where it's coming from, but also from a risk point of view and reducing any potential liability, it gives transparency to the food manufacturers and retailers um, at a much granular level so yeah good 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 news all around sorry to hear about your peanut butter though yeah i don't mess with my peanut butter yeah it's almost like okay. i got hacked i got i got well, hacked I by me. some hacker and gave me bad peanut butter now i, I was interested in this because you know what, what what we're seeing we've seen a lot of hacks let's be honest with you and it seems to be that um the big area that people have been honing in on are bridges um, where people are trying to sort of transfer information from one blockchain to another blockchain, and that's called a bridge. And we've seen um, the DeFi sector being very much focused on this year. But um, you, you've, you've done a little bit of work on on hacks and a little bit on um, the whole area of soul-bound tokens, because these potentially could be a solution that could substantially reduce being hacked, James. Well, yeah, if we're going to talk about me. Yeah, so I, I'm involved in the Soulbound tokens because not only are the uh, the bridges, we realize that they're really not working out, uh, even even user-friendliness-wise, or even corporate-friendliness. It was setting up bridges, no easy task, especially when you have to use a third party because the third parties are nickel and diamond you too, and they're calling it gas. But... Uh, Soulbound, Vitalik wrote an amazing article on Medium about how he believes Soulbound is the future. He also believes that cross-chain may not be what everybody expects it to be. He goes, multi-chain is okay, but this cross-chain, it's it's not working out. We're not ready. And that's that's Bridges, um, to be honest with you. Do you want to just explain what a bridge is? So basically, uh, and... I mean, why not, right? You got your Cyber FM, now known as Free Money Radio, right? And and we're not doing this, by the way, but but we did do this with Cyber FM. We said, look, you guys like Polygon. Polygon's fast and cheap and, 
and clean, and we're on Ethereum. Ethereum is slow and clunky and expensive. Pre-merge, of course, right? We're going backwards. So we said, let's create a bridge, and you could convert your Ethereum ERC-20 tokens over into the Polygon network, where it's now cheaper and faster and easier to use. And everybody was like, yay! So then they went, and we chose a particular bridge company that specializes in this. And like I said, we did build it, and they did want X amount of liquidity and X amount in fees, and they were charging X amount in commissions. And I remember going, oh, my goodness. I might as well go buy a used car for my used car. I'm getting, I'm getting nickeled and dimed every possible way. But I understand it. It's a business, right? We then, we then did – ooh, that came out wrong, huh? We then dealt with <laughs> hackers and – or we'll say nefarious actors – who, you know, realized that CyberFM, in this particular case, had absolutely no security issues. There was nothing wrong with the token. The token does everything it's supposed to do, everything that we built it to do, and everything that we've taken into consideration. But the minute that you rely on a third party, right? Or let's even simplify this. If you're in your car and you're, you're on the interstate highway in the U.S., or what do you guys have in London, right? Isn't the... The M4. The yeah, yeah, the M25 goes all the way around London. The M25, right? No, at one point, you go over a body of water and you're on a bridge, right? Yep. I don't want to scare nobody, but think about it. You're pretty confident when you're on the road knowing you're on the ground. You're solidly planted. The minute you cross over that bridge, you might ask yourself, well, who built this bridge? Do I know the guy? <laughs> Does he have issues? Is he old? Did he graduate bottom of his class? Who built this bridge? You have no choice but to go over that bridge. So for a hot moment, it doesn't matter how good your car is. It doesn't matter how good of a driver you are. And it doesn't matter how fast you're going. Because for that hot moment, everything relies on the producer of that bridge. And it is exactly the same thing in the cryptocurrency, digital assets, distributed ledger world in terms of blockchain. And we saw this with Binance, right? Binance themselves built their own bridge across the BEP2 and the BEP20 network. And they called it a hub. They didn't call it a bridge. They called it a hub. But it was a bridge. And you magically moved your BNB coin from the one network to the other network. Hackers sat and they watched and they waited and they evaluated you know, a, a bad guy is just going to sit and watch. And the longer that they sit and watch, these hackers, lone wolf, it doesn't matter if they're lone wolves or they're experienced groups, they will sit and watch. If they know what they want, they're going to get what they want. Binance is nothing short of a multi-billion dollar organization. Would you agree? Absolutely. The biggest digital exchange out there. So uh, a couple of guys... On a Saturday, having a beer or two, said, hey, man, let's take six months out to evaluate this. When they attacked that Binance hub, this is only, what, maybe two weeks ago? Three weeks by the time this podcast goes out? When they attacked that hub, they managed to have a bridge actually create coins, BNB, which, you know, and, and I'm not taking anything away from, from CZ, or Binance, they, they caught it. We've done the same thing. The minute something goes wrong, you know it when you're on the inside. You go, oh, that's not supposed to happen. And you grab it and you start acting. 
considering it's reactive, I will say they did a good job. But it still happened, right? When you're the biggest guy on campus or when you're the biggest guy in jail, somebody's going to try to punch you so that they come out looking better. So they went after Binance. And if Binance, in my opinion, was susceptible to a bridge hack, then any small mom-and-pop type blockchain company is equally, if not more, susceptible to a hack like that. And I think in the long run, this is why Vitalik said, listen, I don't think the world's ready for cross-chain. We're ready for multi-chain. But when you start crossing those bridges, that trust factor, and we always talk about trustless platforms, becomes a key. But James, on a, on a, I'd just like to sort of finish this particular, I've got a slightly more upbeat note, though. I think it's worth bearing in mind, one of the advantages of digital assets is that they do leave this digital footprint or a digital fin- fingerprint. And we saw early this year the in, in the US, the FBI, in their, um, in their words, revealed a sophisticated laundering technique enabling to trace and access still stolen funds, which amounted to the largest seizure to date of assets by the FBI. And they managed to recover $3.6 billion worth of assets. And that was all related to the colonial pipeline on the eastern seaboard in the USA, whereby um, a, a group or an individual managed to close down that gas pipeline. And, you know, gas stations all up the eastern seaboard at one stage were going to be running out of gas unless they got paid off. Um, but the FBI were able to actually step in. So it, it's it's not like losing, you know, a suitcase of cash and you've got no idea where it is because cash is very difficult to trace. Digital assets do leave a footprint. So all is not lost and there's a lot of time and a lot of money being spent on making the um, the storage and the transfer of digital assets much, much safer. And we're now seeing huge institutions, um, the whole of the custody world. We were talking earlier this week, um, James, about the, the whole challenges of custody. And it's a topic we'll come back to. But you've got some very, very big players like Northern Trust, um, like HSBC, like B, well, the biggest is BNY Mellon, and they've got forty-three trillion dollars of money under custody. They look after on behalf of other people. They now feel confident they've got the systems and procedures to be able to look after your digital assets for you. Um, and you know, if you do get hacked and the money's being held by someone like BNY Mellon, then you know, in theory, they'll stand by it and they'll make sure that your assets are replaced. So it's not as if there's no hope. Um, but in the meantime, just be very careful how and where you store your assets and ideally have them offline as opposed to you know held online because when they're online someone can get access to them yeah and make no mistake i think that there's a tremendous difference between and let's talk about tokenizing an equity real quick uh, a whole new meaning to someone stole my tesla right so if let's say bny becomes a custodian for a tokenized tesla off a of nasdaq i would have much more confidence that a multi a professional financial firm, such as any, you know, we're using BNY as an example, um, would have that kind of security, FBI level security in place, so that God forbid your tokenized Tesla went over a bridge. That's almost kind of funny, isn't it? You drive your tokenized Tesla over the bridge, it will safely come out the other side. I think that's, those are the right hands that have that technology in as opposed to, unfortunately, 
and I'm a big fan of decentralization, and maybe that's maybe that's what Vitalik meant. Let's put this type of technology in the hands of the professionals, where there is some contractual maintenance. Then I'm all for it, well, absolutely. And, and that, but isn't that bizarre? A, a technology that was advocated and designed, developed to be decentralized. Maybe it's going to come back, and we'll see a degree of centralization working hand in glove with decentralized technology. But that, I think that's for for another day. A new word. James, before before we go, um, I I um I know we've we've got um, Olaf Ransom waiting to just talk about this whole era of convergence of traditional and, and DeFi sector. Um, but we did write an article about central bank digital currencies, and, and I'm not going to go into the whole article. Um, I'd just like to mention a couple of key things. First of all, for people saying that, oh, digital money, it's not going to happen, not going to do it. Um, well, I, I, I think to be fair, they're wrong because the Central Bank um, of China have now issued their digital one. And you know they reckon that there's over 250 million people already using that central bank digital currency. Um, so whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, the Chinese government have now got a lot more control and as to who's spending what on what and where and with who, um, as that's part of the way they want to control their economy. But coming closer to sort of Western markets, the thing I just want to bring to everyone's attention was um, about SWIFT. Now, SWIFT is a messaging system set up in Belgium in the, 19, I think it's 1974, and it's designed for the banks to be able to tell them at the end of the day, look, HSBC, you owe Goldman's this, and Goldman's UN BNP Paribas that, and BNP Paribas, you owe Barclays this. Um, so it's a messaging system. It doesn't transfer money, but it, it tells the banks what they're owned. And it's used by over 11,000 banks in 200 countries in the world. And and SWIFT have actually been doing a little bit of work um, in terms of um, can their network, can it accommodate um, central bank digital currencies? And they put out a post on LinkedIn um, by SWIFT's managing director and head of innovation. And I'd just like to read what he's actually said. The new CBDC interlinking solution can enable central bank digital currencies to be used seamlessly and scalably for cross-border payments. So that's all well and good. So basically, they reckon that they can handle central bank digital currencies. But what they went on and said um, is that SWIFT has successfully demonstrated that central bank digital currencies and tokenized assets could function on the current financial infrastructure. So basically what they're saying there is the current, um, if you like, pipes and loops and wiring and digital infrastructure that we have between um, 11,000 banks on the SWIFT infrastructure, what they're potentially saying is not only could they start moving cash as opposed to just messages around in the form of central bank digital currencies, but they could move other tokenized or digitized assets. So go back to your digital Tesla shares, or maybe, um, you know, good old Mr. Musk is going to issue some digital debt to pay for Twitter, which has cost quite a lot of money, 40 odd billion, and he's going to raise some debt, and that'll be a digital debt. And that digital equity and digital debt, if it could be moved between those banks, that does raise the question, do the banks need to go to brokers, stock exchanges, clearinghouses, or are we going to see more peer-to-peer, one bank to another bank, swapping assets between themselves because that is the case that's a huge shake-up in our financial services sector and it makes a tremendous amount of sense right because you know a lot of people may not realize but swift is a messaging system and 
he would be on point and saying it's just automatically seamlessly integrated because you're messaging the, tr- the transactions and the settlements. Uh, we've seen this already. We we are we know that you know Wall Street uses fixed protocol for for communicating trades, and every single major exchange like Coinbase and Binance, by default, immediately knew to use fixed protocol. Fixed protocol also around since 1994, so not as old as Swift, but equally legacy, right? So for Swift to be a messaging system on the settlements and, and the, tra- the IOUs, right? Um, it makes sense that it would be completely. It doesn't need to be replaced. They're just going to modify. They're just going to add to the new. They're going to add the CBDCs to the messaging. That would make sense to me. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, again, this is just another example of how digital assets and blockchain technology is is very much coming to um it's becoming much more mainstream. We we may not realize it. Um, you know, the average man and lady on you know sitting in our homes or going down the high street, but behind the scenes, some of the big institutions that we all rely on um are are, are very, very much using the technology and it's just something which is gonna go on behind the scenes and i think as i said to you before james i can remember years ago having a really dull conversation about should you use microsoft word or lotus notes it's kind of irrelevant you know who cares um in the end it was actually microsoft word that ended up getting used but you don't have a conversation say oh i'm just looking to use my excel spreadsheet and should we do a pivot table you know give me a break you, you know just get on and do it and and that's what's going to happen i think more and more with the use of blockchain technology is being seen not everywhere, but in a number of cases, it's going to be just the way it's done because of all the reasons that we've outlined over the last year or so talking um, here on Cyber.fm on the Digital Bike Show, giving examples of how, where and why the technology is being used. And one of the ways is the creation of digital assets. And we're, again, seeing that being used in the, in the entertainment industry, in sports, in finance. You know, we were talking earlier on there about in the, in the retail industry. Um, and as we see the metaverse coming down the line, which is more and more, then, you know, you're going to have digital assets being used as the way goods and services exchange in, in that digital world that we've, we've we've talked about in the past. But, James, we we, we better go. As you said earlier on, um, if anyone would like a, a hard copy of Digital Bytes, then simply go to digitalbytes.substack.com. And um, then you can just sign up and we'll send you a, a weekly copy. And there's examples and lots of hyperlinks of the things that James and I talk about every week here on, on the radio show. Hi, my name's Johnny Fry. And each week I sit down with James Tiley on Cyber.fm and record the Digital Byte show, looking at how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different industries and different countries. If you'd like your free copy, then simply go to digitalbytes.substack.com. And we'll send you a weekly newsletter every week. This is real-time music playing, cryptocurrency paying, free money radio, cyber.fm. Hey, Johnny and I are back, and we were covering the articles earlier. But the special guest article this week was uh, out of the Realization Group. But uh, Olaf Ransom is going to actually be talking about the article uh, written with our old friend Helen Disney, right? Olaf, yep. is, uh, are you just a key player or a, a professional in, or a subject matter expert? I like that term. Well, let's let's uh, start with the last. And first off, uh, hello to everybody, and thanks for having me on. So, um, I'm something of an expert in and around 
things digital, although I'm one of those TradFi kind of people who is doing his best to understand um, all things DeFi, FinTech, blockchain, whichever of those. Um, uh, we should go bowling. You like. And uh, I, I, I spend a lot of my time as that bridge between the old world and the new world, either helping the old world guys understand the new or the new world guys understand the old. And I work very closely with the Realization Group and uh, been a client of theirs uh, at points in the past. And we spend a lot of time talking about how the old and the new are going to go together. And that's uh, where the era of convergence came from. And um, we're cooperating on, on a number of themes. And so Helen nicely volunteered me for Friday afternoon duty here in Zurich to, uh, to join the show. Johnny does that to me all the time, right, Johnny? You're always yeah, volunteering me to do stuff. Always volunteering. Well, you're so good at it, James. That's that's the problem. But Olaf, uh, yeah, well, welcome to the Digibyte Show and delighted um, you've, you've managed to sort of come on and, and talk to us because I think the topic um, matter is, well, it's interesting to me because I've been in financial services for, you know, for, you know almost when God was a boy. Um, but this whole thing, era of convergence, do you mind just explain, what, what do you mean by that? What's What's going on? I think here's the here's the easy way to look at this. A lot of the the new fintech stuff feels a bit like it's the new and it's just going to displace the old. New is good, old is bad, old is going to win, old is going to lose, and, and new is going to win. Uh, and I I just don't see it being that. You know, if you think about how many assets are managed by the tradfi world. Um, what breadth they have across the world. It's just not realistic that... Hang on, hang on, if we need to... Because this is going literally all over the world. Um, CyberDoFM have got about 4.6 million listeners in every continent. What do you mean by TradFi? What do you mean by DeFi? Okay, right. So TradFi, all the old-fashioned stuff with banks, brokerages, and actually the way we do things today in financial services. Um. Whether, whether it's universal banking as you have it in here in Switzerland or having a bank and a broker as you have it in the States. Um, DeFi tends to get used as the catch-all for all, all things new from blockchain to DLT to, um, uh, to, to decentralized finance itself and is this new world. And so as we thought about, or better said, as we started to talk about this era of convergence, we're trying to articulate how we think the new DeFi and all its variations will blend in with the old, um, the banking and financial market infrastructure that we have today. Okay, so we on the one hand we've got stockbrokers and banks and asset management companies, um, you know, qu- quoting companies and issuing debt instruments and moving cash around. That's the traditional world that. Most of us sort of bump into occasionally, um, you know, if we want to get involved in stock markets and things, and we all get involved if we want to send money, certainly overseas. And that's what was, if you like. But what we're now seeing are um, decentralized finance. I Sometimes it's possible to send value money um, without dealing with a bank, without going to the normal exchange houses. And we've seen, obviously, the initial sort of stuff was crypto, but... We're, we're seeing it's a lot more than just the crypto markets when you talk about DeFi, aren't you? Yes. Um, easy to add into that uh, things like stable coins. Um, we'll come back to those in a second. 
uh, easy to add into that things around DeFi, like automatic, automated market making, um, new ways in which transactions come to pass. Um, but I might give an example of how new and old goes together, just from something I've been working on this week with uh, some friends of mine. Listeners might have seen uh, in the news this week that FTX has done a tie-up with Visa. And what FTX has said is, hey, we FTX will let you pay using Visa. And underneath it, the thing you can use to pay is your account at FTX. So what they're saying is, in our new world, FTX, where we let you hold assets, we'll let you make a payment with that to some merchant through the Visa network, which is pretty big and acceptable. And when you come to pay, we'll slice off a little bit of your one or other asset, like almost slicing a truffle, and let you pay for stuff. Like, wow, this is great. Because if you're an investor, it means you can invest your money in the markets. You don't have to make a decision between I bought some stocks and shares or some tokens and I've got my money in my checking account. You can put all your assets in one place and continue to buy things. You've got optionality. You're, you're still in the markets. Like, wow, that's clever because that there's the new world. FTX um, is... Uh, made its name as a crypto exchange and then doing business in and around crypto. They're doing a lot more than that now, but that's an interesting move where you see a new player offering a convergence with the old world. Visa is something we know uh, for merchants. And literally besides that, I've had three other conversations this week of people going, well, what about if the merchants could just get the payments from clients, crypto wallets, and completely cut out the, the old-fashioned Visa and MasterCard network. So you can see enormous uh, strides of innovation, lots of stuff happening and happening very fast. Um, but somehow, look, the two worlds need to, uh, need, need to coexist. Right. And uh, well, interesting, you're talking about things like that. Um, I see Swift made an announcement that they're working on um, being able to handle central bank digital currencies. Obviously, SWIFT is the messaging service. It yeah. doesn't actually move money, but it just enables all the banks or 11,500 of the banks around the world to communicate with each other. But what I thought was interesting, Ola, was that not only are they working on um, the ability for banks to be able to move um, a digital currency between each other, a central bank digital currency, but they were saying it's also possible potentially um, to move other securities like equities and debt instruments. And that kind of then raised the question, are you going to cut out the stock exchanges and the clearinghouses and the banks can just swap things themselves? And that all sounds very sort of new and DeFi-ish to me. Yeah. So first, a little confession. Reading the Swift announcement is on the to-do list for the week. Didn't have time to digest all of it. I stopped getting excited when it said they were going to move CBDC, because um, I, I found that sort of somewhat amusing, because uh, I think that um, the, those networks that support CBDC, be they public, uh, be they controlled by the, the central banks, which is kind of essential, because otherwise you don't have CBDC, yeah. um, or private 
equivalent or ersatz CBDC, if you like, like finality and limit. Uh, I don't, I don't actually see that Swift is going to have a role in that. Um, whether or not they have a role in transferring securities, possibly. Um, haven't, haven't yet given that um, too much thought. Um, there, there will be a debate over whether you use um, the public blockchain for messages or whether you need a secure network, which is what Swift is. Um, interestingly, when you talk to people in the markets about how do you transmit orders from a bank or broker to a crypto exchange, yep. there's no Swift in sight. And literally at the moment, all those involved are quite happy with a VPN. So I, I understand why Swift would come out and say these things. I would have to give this some analysis as to whether they've really thought this through um, and, and quite which message flows they might be involved in. Um, and also the SWIFT network is relying on the fact that there is, at least in securities, a post-trade set of events to happen. Um, increasingly, if you look around at what's happening, um, everything has to be pre-funded in crypto land. Yep. Pre-funding can be a pain in the neck because it requires you to make decisions about where to locate securities or, or cash liquidity. However, if everything else is in place, like repo, um, securities lending, money markets, then that can happen. And if that's true, then there's very little, if any, post-trade. And if there's no post-trade, then at least in the securities business, lots of the messages that Swift send are no longer necessary. No longer required. Yeah. But interesting to see that that you know fairly august organisations being the centre. Look, let's be honest. Most of us um, don't know what Swift is. They don't. They don't. They've never really heard of it. But it is something which you know the banks use on a daily basis to basically tally up and say what what each of them owe each other at the end of the day. So it's interesting. Something at the core of, as you say, the trad world um, has come out with a public statement, um, not just about CBDCs, but saying, but we're looking at other digital securities. I think. Um, it yeah. only plays to what you're saying in terms of this era of convergence, as we're seeing people sort of or, or organizations coming into this. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think yeah, or, that shows you that those organizations, as you said, the august bodies of the, of the status quo are serious enough to look closely at what digital assets and the way they will be moved and stored in the future means for them. Um, so that that is a good thing. Uh, Swift is a super valuable network. It connects up a, a huge number of banks and ensures that there are trusted relationships for them to exchange messages. Um, that value is not all going to go away. We're not all going to be able to communicate point to point we somewhere in all of this, you need this network that says, hey, 
there are people on the network who wants to do business with each other and will help make sure that uh, you guys know where each other can be found and can trust each other and what we can simplify movements between you. Um, certainly uh, more studying and work and analysis um, to be done. Um, and SWIFT will undoubtedly evolve in that. Isn't, isn't, this, isn't this what you're saying in your article? You're saying, you, I was interested in you, you made a comment that in the wider context of digital transformation and convergence is a shift in the underlying infrastructure. And you're then talking about internet of information moving to what the internet of value transfer and Web3. Do you mind elaborate just a little bit on that and how you see Web3 sort of becoming more more, more, more important? Yeah, here's, here's my favourite Web3, what might be possible story of the moment that um, I, I was actually talking about the potential client the other day. Um, imagine that I, I want to pay some money to you, Johnny, and I'd, I'd have to ring you up and go, I'm going to pay you some pounds. And you tell me where you bank in it, but it might be Lloyd's. And I would then have to send a payment to say, send some money to Lloyd, to my bank. Please send some money over to Lloyd's for Johnny's account. Mm-hmm. But I've got to keep track of all this information about Johnny and where he has his account. Um, imagine that in Web3, Johnny had his own address. Johnny on the web, for want of any better expression. And I could just say, send pounds to Johnny on the web. If behind the scenes, Lloyd's was the sponsor of Johnny's wallet to make sure that all that good AML and KYC stuff got done and that Johnny wasn't a, a bad person in any way, shape, or form, even though we know you're not, but we still have to do all of that testing stuff. If one day then you thought that Lloyd's really wasn't a good home for your, your wallet, you know, even though they very nicely back it up and make sure that you don't lose any securities or any money and you thought it would be good to go to Barclays, imagine you could go to Barclays with the same lack of friction that you can move your mobile phone number to another provider. I would still be sending money to Johnny. The fact that Barclays are now looking after Johnny's Web3 wallet behind the scenes, but I don't even know about it. Johnny's very happy. Johnny's got a nice new service and he gets, I don't know, Barclay points or something, um, or one Premier League ticket every 300 years or whatever nice things they want to give you. Um, and uh, everything's much easier. Uh, you, If you moved, you wouldn't have to get all your direct debits resorted. Um, much, much less friction. That could be an easy outcome if we use this Web3 type structure, suddenly completely new um, possibilities um, or even a, an example on the security side of the house. Um, there's a big debate around all this new DeFi fintech stuff about public blockchain versus private blockchain. Um, very easy to make the case that money will be on private blockchain because of central bank control, that's fine. It's also easy, I think, to make the case that security is the best place on the public blockchain. Um, imagine, and I can give you a good example of this. The main newspaper in Switzerland, the NZZ, they will not let you register your shares if you are not a member of a certain political party. Now, 
we can philosophize at length about whether that's a good or a bad thing, but let's just tolerate it for a second. Mm-hmm. But imagine I had some of these shares in the wallet and I actually wanted to go and vote at the next uh, AGM of this particular company. They could easily test whether I'm entitled to vote in a Web3 type of world because the political party in question, the, our liberal party, might issue me an NFT to say, a referendum is a card-carrying member of. And then, you know, hey, presto, some of those things get very easy, where today they're not necessarily easy. I'd probably, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not a shareholder in that particular company. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But if I, if I wanted to register my interest, I'd probably have to get a notarized copy of my party card or something and do a whole bunch of admin, blah, blah, yeah. to get to go and vote. Um, but suddenly you can combine those two things on the security side and do things in uh, a different way by, by composing assets together, the share and the NFT, or conceivably I could decompose it and say, well, I own the share and I, I think this newspaper is going to do really well economically. I'd love to have the upside. Um, but well, my, main, my mate Fred, who is a card-carrying member of the Liberal Party, he'd love to go and vote. And I could pass that to him. Fine. That's all right. He's, he's got the token. So, so Olaf, got... It, it sounds to me, just listening to you, it sounds, at the moment, a lot of financial services is... Um, it, it is full of mumbo jumbo. It's full of terminology. It's yeah. quite complicated for people to understand. It's not very user friendly. It yeah. sounds like Web three promises to make things a little bit more user friendly, bring a lot more transparency, um, and hopefully bring a bit more confidence and trust from the the lady and man in the high street to maybe start re engaging with the companies and the financial services um, industry, which surely is no bad thing. Um. Interesting. Of all the things I've thought about this week about what Web3 changes, that engagement wasn't on the list. And then thank you so much for pointing that out. Yet you're right. The, the easier the um, what some of the our tech friends would call the UX is, the user experience, um, the more likely um, they are to engage with it. Um, I think as well, you can make some of those things more fun to do. Yeah. Um, in you know, for for example, um, well, let's just let's just think of one. There used to be, um, and I've done this in the past. There's a wonderful Swiss chocolate company called Linton Sprinley. And if you if you registered your shares in the past and you went to the AGM, you were, you could get some chocolate on the way out. Free chocolate, <laughs> free chocolate, quite a quite a considerable quantity of chocolate actually. But you had to register your shares and you had to go to the AGM, which is a bit of a bit of a ball ache, right? And it's here in Switzerland, which of course is a nice place, but nonetheless, uh, imagine if we go to this Web3 thing and it's really obvious to Lynch Brimley that Johnny uh, has got some shares. Johnny has to live in the UK, but they could send you uh, effectively um, what our nice techie friends call an airdrop of chocolate vouchers and enable Johnny to enjoy uh, some chocolate. He did vote at the AGM because he was allowed to. Now, being British didn't exclude us, you know, even if at times we do eat that awful Cadbury's chocolate. Um, and then they sent you some vouchers to get some some chocolate. So suddenly, you know, it's more interesting for Johnny to be a shareholder 
in making friendly because like yeah well it's kind of nice they make some profit but i also get these nice chocolates every year so <laughs> i suppose one would call that gamification of some kind you you that's exactly the type of thing you can do to make it more interesting um to be a shareholder uh, i've even heard recently of suggestions around voting that if mutual funds own stakes in companies and olaf owns mutual funds Olaf should get that share of the vote in the company rather than the mutual fund having it. Um, yep. Today, with the infrastructure we have, this would it wouldn't be, allow that. It just wouldn't allow. Well, it just it'd just be a gargantuan mess, um, and, and the, the numbers would um, would never add up. But one of the things about it's interesting about you know, once you put stuff on the public blockchain. If there are 100 shares in company X, everybody can see where the 100 shares are. They know that they're in wallets A, B, C, D, whatever it is. They don't necessarily know who owns A, B, C, D. They don't know where the owners of A, B, C, D live. But it's painfully obvious to all and totally transparent where they are. That's probably a good thing. Um, and you, you see a lot of a lot of work coming out of people like chain chain analysis about fraud and movements of crypto. It's easy to follow because it's all public. But but Olive, that's exactly what I'm saying. You, you'll you know the the technology allows greater transparency. Yep. Therefore, hopefully, um, you know it, it enables a better user experience, and therefore people will perhaps be more inclined to get involved with, um, as you say, picking up their shareholder perks, which may be bar of chocolate or maybe a you know, discount off their travel or, or whatever. But I, um, James, I'm mindful of time. Every time we seem to sort of run out of time, but any thoughts, ideas that spring to mind for you? You know, the, the whole time that I was reading the article and listening, I was, my brain was giving me issue with the word convergence and decentralization. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think he explained it. It, it made it click for me. Um, and unfortunately the chocolate, NFTs broke me, and all of a sudden now I'm just stuck thinking about chocolate and NFTs, and and I want more You've chocolate. You've got Hershey stuff, haven't you? Out there, that's the trouble. Our chocolate is, you know, all our chocolate is very Coinbase, right? There's only one kind of chocolate out here, Hershey's. The Swiss chocolates are really, really a sort of cut above the rest. I have to agree yeah. with you, James. So, we have to go for uh, what the great New York. Um, proxy for chocolate, which is um, strawberry shortcake from Venero's patisserie on the uh, on the Lower East Side. <laughs> yeah. Then, oh, look at this guy, huh? <laughs> I, I knew you were a New Yorker, so uh, I had to throw that one in. Um, that was the standard thank you soft bribe uh, of its time uh, when everybody <laughs> worked in New York. You could get Hang a lot. On, we don't allow adverts on this on this show. What the hell's going on? Oh, no, chocolate on the cheesecake cheese too, cake. right? Remember the cheesecake? <laughs> All right, well, look, I think we'll leave it on the cheesecake note. Olive, thank you very much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Uh, re- really interesting. And if anyone would like to get a copy of Olive's article and more information about the Realisation Group, who I know he works with, then obviously you can contact uh, James at cyber.fm. Or go on to uh, digitalbytes.substack.com and you can download a copy of um, Olaf's article that he's written in conjunction with a colleague, Helen Disney, who for regular listeners, you know, Helen's been on the show with us before. And um, we'll be back next week, James, with um, some more thoughts and analysis 
of what's happening with blockchain technology and digital assets. And I know you'll be sorting out the podcast um, as ever. So thanks for that, James. Yeah, you're going to start paying me in Swiss chocolate. 